Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jen Snelson. My name is Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss, investigate, explore, uh, you know, theology, the Christian life, as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Welcome back. This week we have a nice, sweet, fresh new episode for each one of you. Uh, we appreciate each one of you. you. You tune in week in and week out. The support lately has been really great, and we just want to express our gratitude. So, um, I guess I mean without any further ado, I suppose we can we can just jump right in. Uh, this week's topic we're we're going to be talking maybe kind of specifically about um, disability disabilities in the Christian life, but also generally I think just sickness illness, disease, stuff of that nature. Um, this is sort of birthed out of recent conversations where we've talked about like prosperity theology, Azusa street revival, where we talked about, you know, miraculous gifts, where there's almost this expectation that people are supposed to be healed. Um, so what does it look like to, to be a Christian, to live in the world, to wrestle with disability, to wrestle with sickness? That's that's what we're covering today. So I'm going to kick it to my good friend Lucas, and he is going to uh, kick off this conversation. Well, I took it in even a different direction, even a, a more maybe narrow or mm, specific maybe is a better word direction, where I was really curious. I've become really curious um, in recent weeks, especially recently read a book um, on not just like thinking about what is... What is a sort of theological interpretation of things like sickness or disease or disability? But more more than that, more specifically than that, maybe more uniquely than that, um, the sort of, I guess you could call it subfield of theological reflection of disability theology. You know, so you can think of like, we've got liberation theology, black theology, womanist theology, feminist theology, queer theology, like these different contextual theologies where you're doing theology, um, you know, from the perspective of, with a specific eye to the experiences of, with a, the lens of a specific context, um, which obviously could can be quite varied and there, are, you know, you can have so many different, I mean, just the idea of any one of those little categories I threw out there, at least within the world of of academic theology, you know, the the kinds of, of egghead nerds like us. I'm not sure really how far outside of that most of those kinds of conversations really impact in terms of the actual church and people's actual experiences. Um, but that's probably a different conversation. But Within that world of contextual theologies, maybe, is, is a way to, to conceive of the place of something like disability theology. Um, I mentioned that I had read a book recently. It was published in like 94 or something. It was originally a master's thesis at, at Candler School of Theology at Emory. But um, it was called Toward a Liberatory Theology of Disability. And it was written by a disabled uh, woman, theologian, who has since passed away, um, exploring the theological, you know, import of the experiences of disabled people, which itself is, you know, I'm sure we'll get into a very broad category, um, 
specifically with the theological constructive goal of producing a disability liberation theology. And she did a really interesting, um, she did some really interesting work with the Eucharist, the broken body of Christ being the site of our grace and our reception of it. It was a really good book. Um, I'd recommend it. But then also there's, there's um, in perhaps a different sort of vein, and I don't know, I haven't read this book, um, but I know specifically um, perhaps listeners of, of a show like this will be familiar maybe maybe even just peripherally with the name Amos Young. He is a, I think, fairly well-known and, and well-respected Pentecostal theologian who teaches at Fuller Seminary. Um, very, like, if you, if you go to his, like, bibliography, like, he's written a lot of stuff um, on, like, different topics and stuff. But he has, I, I forget when it was published. I don't think it was that long ago. It might have been, like, 10 years ago. Might have been longer. I'm not sure. I forget what it's called exactly. I think it's um, like Down syndrome and theology, or something like that, um, or theology and Down syndrome, maybe. But it's like a 400-page book exploring this. You know, specifically focusing on on Down syndrome. Like I said, the, the, the category of disabled person. There's all kinds of disabilities: physical, mental, genetic. You know, disabilities that you're born with, disabilities that you you uh, you sort of receive, so to speak, later in life. You know, broad category that, that you can't just lump everyone together. But but um, so that, that's an example of someone who would, by and large, I think, you know, not fall into the, the categories like when you would normally think of like liberation theology. I don't think most people think Amos Young <laughs> or Fuller Seminary. But um, the only reason I bring up those two books is I read the first one and I am aware of and want to read the Amos Young book. And he's a, a, a well, like I said, well-known and well-respected, um, you know, pretty mainstream, evangelical, broadly speaking, Pentecostal theologian. So it's not just, you know, the crazies up at like Union Seminary <laughs> in New York writing their dissertations on this kind of stuff. Um, although I'm sure there's a lot, there, there is a lot of that, but, um, the point being like, I think probably if we're going to think about disability theology, if you can imagine like capital D capital T, um, there, there can maybe be a distinction we can draw between disability theology as that kind of contextual theology, which has a whole host of merits and demerits that we can talk about. Um, and then also something less maybe well-defined or less specifically defined, um, but but equally, if not more so important, a broader conversation on sort of a theology of disability, which is probably where we're going to go more so, just in terms of our knowledge and, and, and experience and, and preparedness, I think, is probably where this conversation is more going to go, is what does it look like to sort of deal with the reality of all kinds of disabilities, from a Christian theological perspective without necessarily needing to take that sort of extra step into building constructively a disability theology. Um, like I said, I've recently become super interested in disability theology, you know, this sort of more well-defined thing. And I think there's a lot of really interesting um, touch points, connection points with questions of Christology, ecclesiology that are really, really important. Um, 
And like in that book I read toward the liberatory disability theology, um, there was a statistic. And like I said, this book was written in the early 90s, published in the early 90s, that something like if you, if you, you know, define disability as, as any kind of disability, she cited some statistic that something like, ni- like uh, not 90, uh, like 43 million uh, United States adults are, have some kind of disability, which I don't know how that number has changed in the almost 30 years since that book was written. But you think about, you know, we have what, roughly 300, 350 million people like that's a lot it's like a lot of people right and so even if you even if you take the broadest definition and some people are, are going to have more severe or less severe disabilities or more obvious or less obvious disabilities but like that's a lot of people which just by itself means this is a topic to be thought about because if you're pastoring a church if you're producing some kind of theological reflection. If you're having a conversation with a person, like these are the real life, these sorts of real life issues, they just exist. So there should be some kind of thoughtful reflection on what what does it, you know, some meaning making, finding a place for it, not in the sense of saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, Um it might be one of those. It might be both. Neither of those. It might be both of those. You know, like there's there's lots of, of aspects that we won't be able to get to everything today in terms of how do we theologically sort of quote unquote deal with the reality of disability that a great deal of people, you know, tens of millions just in this country deal with, um, for the sake of recognizing the real life import of theology. As interesting and as fun as it is to just read theological speculation for itself, like that's that's a that's a favorite hobby of mine. Um, if it stays there, it's it's it can't ever be anything more than an interesting diversion and a hobby. It doesn't have any any impact. And this is the kind of topic that it's really easy to see that sort of real life impact because the question of you know all the different categories of disability is inherently a very concrete real life question that is probably never really that seriously thought of by a good number of, of able-bodied and able-minded people while at the same time being a more or less constant consideration for people who are physically or mentally or otherwise disabled. And that's important, you know. Um, so I'll stop rambling and sort of um, use that, using that as kind of a launching off point. Just kind of see what your thoughts are, where you want to go. Um, and yeah, like I said, we can't cover everything, which we never can. But especially, this is just one of those where it's very clear we can't cover everything in one episode. So kind of want to see where you want to, where you want to take us, or, or what what stuck sticks out to you when you think of this idea. Whether we're talking about, you know producing some kind of disability theology, doing theology, you know, from the the lens of disability, or just more broadly, dealing with, quote unquote, dealing with disability in a, in a theological way. Yeah. Well, the hard thing is, it, it bums me out that we live in a world where we even have to question whether we should have, you know, a more rugged or robust theological understanding. Like, it... 
the the frustrating thing to me, and I, I mentioned in the intro in the beginning, you know, that when you think of more charismatic or Pentecostal or, um, you know, theologies that are birthed, especially out of the 19th, um, you know, late, uh, late 18, early 1900s, um, there's there's a lot of talk about about healing about the gifts of healing about um you know laying hands on people and you know limbs grow and miraculous uh, you know people that had some sickness are cured and um obviously these sort of things come from some of the miracles that we find in scripture i mean we find jesus literally spitting in the mud mixing it around and then wiping it over a dude's eyes and he can see uh we have people who you know couldn't walk who are made to walk again um, like those are miraculous things. Um, and so I think part of like, as we have this conversation, like we have to recognize on the one hand that yes, miracles do happen. There are healings then and now that occur. Like I- I'm not so naive to think that. Um, but conversely, uh, what does it look like to live with a lifelong disability or a lifelong illness, um, in light of what you read in scripture about people being healed? Like, are the healings in scripture prescriptive or descriptive? Meaning, like, when we look at healings, does that mean that, yes, Christians everywhere have the ability to heal anybody? And if there isn't a healing, it means there's a lack of faith. Like, I've heard language like that. Language that that if it doesn't outright say it, it gets very close to, like, well, if, if you know, if you haven't recovered from cancer or from COVID or whatever illness or problem, like it must be evidence that you have sin, like unrepentant sin in your life. Um, which I think just like you mentioned the, the sheer large volume of people that have some sort of disability, like I think it's just like disingenuous to, to claim that like, obviously, yes, we all have sin that we're struggling with every single one of us, the most righteous and the most unrighteous, whatever, however you want to categorize those, those categories, like how, however you want to drop people into those buckets, like, People have sin, yes. People will continue to sin, yes. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I... Okay, so I think of myself, for example. I, at, at age 24, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Like, for most of my life up until that point, I was relatively healthy. I, you know, I, I you know, probably could have exercised more, eaten better, had less greasy, fatty foods, whatever. Um, but I, as I went into adulthood, as I, you know, was working as a youth pastor in the suburbs of Chicago, like found out I had type one diabetes, which isn't something I did. It's not something I caused. It's just like my pancreas, my immune system, they, they don't work the way that they're supposed to. Is that evidence that I have sinned? Well, in some sense, maybe because yes, all of us have sinned. All of us are living under a, a, a sinful world. So of course, yes. Um, but is it because I, you know, hated my brother or, you know, watched porn when I was in high school or something. No, probably not. Like, that's not how the world works. Like, unfortunately, living in a world that is affected by sin means that people are born into that world with, with um, you know, disabilities, with, with illnesses, with chronic pain, chronic illnesses, whatever that thing might be. You know, I'm thinking of friends and family members who have um, things like MS and um, Crohn's disease and like just these things that at this point in human history, we do not have cures for. Um, that's not to say miraculous things don't happen, but I don't think that we are guaranteed healing in this life. And I think that's the point. 
I think for some of us, like, at least personally for me, like, when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, I had, I, I feel like I gained a new perspective on the world. Um, I feel like I gained a perspective that allowed me to have even more hope for what's to come. Like, I can't tell you how many times I, uh, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time because neither of us can have pizza. But like, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, I can't wait to get to heaven. And like, the fir- one of the first things I do is just like have an entire pizza. Like, whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. But like, I, I can think about that. Um uh, you know, or, or or even just to live without having to give myself, um, you know, a, a, wear an insulin pump and wear a glucose meter. Like I, in glory, will have a body where those things like really are no longer a thought because the reality is I will have a new body, a glorified body that is not affected by the the, the disease of sin. Um, so yeah, those are those are some of my like introductory thoughts another thought that i had is um is how closely um and this doesn't even have to be a bad thing i think this is actually a good thing but how how for some people especially people who have lifelong chronic illnesses and disabilities how that becomes a source of identity even like obviously as christians we first and foremost find our identity in christ what he has done for us we are we are his people living for him Um, but in a world where um, you know, there are able-bodied people, there are people who are healthy, um, a, a part of our, at least for me, you know, part of my identity is, like, identifying even with other people who go through the same thing that I go through on a daily basis, people who have been doing it longer, who have it more severe, who have different perspectives, like, it's a, it's a, it's a, a group of people who can come together and unify around this shared thing, and yes, it's, it's unfortunate, it's, I, I hate that I have to have diabetes, but like it is a reality of the world that I live in, and thus it is a part of me. It is a part of who I am. Um, and so what's really frustrating to me is that like when we see people who say things about like, oh, how you must have sin because you're still sick, or you must not have prayed enough, or you whatever, like these things that people will often say um, in, in some way, not only is it like just mere, purely offensive to say those things, but it's... It, this is something that I did not do to myself and I cannot change. And the, 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 you know, the, the assumption or maybe the implication of what you're saying is that like, okay, I need to do something differently. I need to be somebody else. I need to be something that first of all, I mean, again, if we're talking about type one diabetes, which doesn't have a cure, isn't caused by anything anybody does. It's just part of, part of my, my DNA. Like I was born into this world God knowing fully well what each of my days was going to contain. And so in the providence, in the sovereignty of God, at the age of 24, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So like that, that the, so then to, to, to have someone say something to the effect of like, well, you need to pray harder or pray more or change this habit. Or if you do this, like you can lessen the severity of your diabetes. Like I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we, we just need to be more careful with our tongues across the board in so many different conversations we need to have a uh, a better ability at taming our tongues um, but especially when it comes to these conversations about disability about people who um, especially if this is like the way they have to live their life for the rest of their days like we can really hurt people we can really affect people we can really impact the way that they view themselves the way that they view the world um and so as Christians, I think the assumption should not be 
and, and hear me, like, listen carefully to what I say. I'm not saying to not pray. I'm not saying to not believe in, in miracles. But what I'm saying is that we need to have an understanding that sometimes an illness is going to remain with us for the rest of our lives, however long that might be, 10, 15, 20, 30 more years. Um, but the reality is, is we can live contented lives. We can find ways to be satisfied, to find wholeness, to find uh, even a, a more joy in our Savior because, like, yes, like, Christ has not healed me of type 1 diabetes yet, but he will. But in this life, this thing that I am afflicted with, I think of Paul th thinking of his thorn in the flesh, whatever that thorn is, like, he takes a sense of pride and, like, he sees it as, like, a thing that will sanctify him more. And that's honestly how I've viewed even my type 1 diabetes is like a a means and a mode of further sanctification that perhaps I would not have experienced otherwise. So curious what some of your thoughts are after some of that. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think I would there so many things I want to say like the to start I'll say what you said about wholeness and that word specifically is so important and that is what it means to be in Christ. That that is that's what is given to us by being grafted into him by the Spirit in order for adoption of the Father. And that wholeness isn't just some kind of ideal or like you know spiritualized ethereal thing or even just a future thing in the sense that you know, the whole already not yet thing, whole, like being whole in Christ with respect to disability doesn't mean, A, every physical problem goes away, you know, at some point once you believe and pray right or whatever. And it does not mean everything stays the same, there's no impact, but I know that down the road... When I get to heaven, I'll be better. Both of those things are, are false. What wholeness means is being made to conf be conformed to the image of Christ more and more now. Like eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life is what we are given in Christ. It's, it's a quality of life. It's not, a, it's not an amount of time. Um, and... With respect to disability, this this run this would run the gamut of physical healing, um, you know, the sanctification that can come from uh, sort of redemptive suffering, uh, whatever that might look like. Which is which is what's important is it's not to sort of twist something like diabetes or you know getting your legs blown off in a war or a traumatic car accident or Down syndrome. Like, it's not to twist that into, man, I'm so grateful that happened to you, that God has given you this gift of redemptive suffering. Um, but the problem I've, se I've seen in a lot of, like, 20th century theology, like post-Holocaust, post-civil rights, the problem can be to look at, because of statements like that at different points in history to different... Um, groups of suffering people the 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 bad response has been to sort of abandon 
and and criticize and you know get rid of these this idea of redemptive suffering and i don't think that we should take the idea and throw it out because of how it's been abused i think we should recognize the man born blind in god's pro- jesus specifically says you know who sinned that he was born blind nobody it was in god's providence that the glory of god may be shown that man's lifetime up until that point of suffering was redeemed by and in Christ and the entire purpose of him being afflicted with blindness from birth was for that moment where he was healed for the glory of God, right? That 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 is just straightforward, explicitly what Jesus says. He didn't do anything. His parents didn't do anything. This was in God's providence as a gift to him for healing in, in, in that sense, and also a gift to everyone around and everyone since, who's because it's been recorded in scripture, um, for God's glory. That's that's just true. And that is that is an amazing act of grace that can only be worked by God. Um, and I don't want to lose that. You know, I don't I don't think I want to build a theological system where I don't have room for that. I don't have room for that story of that man born blind. The problem is to look at everyone who is suffering and sort of, you know, patronize them or encourage or, or, or kind of, you know, pressure them to just adopt this kind of false view where they're like, oh, yes, I'm so happy that I'm paralyzed. It's like, I don't think, I don't think you need to be happy that you're paralyzed. And I don't think you need to be happy that you're paralyzed in order to recognize God's redemption working in and through your suffering. And that's true of, that's true of everybody, and that's true of every kind of suffering. But God's redemptive purposes being enacted through something that is, that is tragic, that is evil, that is bad, doesn't mean it's not tragic or evil or bad. It means God is bigger, right? Like, like that's, that's more of the perspective. And... Related to that is recognizing that this wholeness that that Christ is is giving us, has given us, and will continue to give us, like, that's the church. So, something like, what is our, you know, down to the nitty-gritty, practically speaking, do you have a wheelchair ramp? You know, do you have an elevator if you have multiple stories in your church building? What What are your, like, liturgical and ritual practices around things like baptism and the Eucharist or whatever? Because, like, do you have, you know, at our, at our church, we have, a, we have an altar rail where you go up, you kneel at the rail, and, and the, um, the uh, Eucharistic ministers give you the, the elements. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions around that kind of a, that, that's, that's one of a variety of very common sort of logistical formats for administration of the Eucharist, right? Whatever. So taking that as the example, like, do you have sort of a system in place where somebody who, for whatever purpose, you know, whatever reason, um, is, is wants to receive, but is unable to come to the front in terms of taking it to them? Like, like after the rest of the people have gotten out of the way, you know, the lines have moved on to, to bring them, um, the Eucharist so that they can receive, uh, even though they can't make it to the front, right? But also, and this was raised in that book that I mentioned at the beginning that I read, what about adjustments to where they're able to be brought to the front? 
maybe maybe not under their own power or maybe people have to be kind of inconvenienced slightly you know maybe it's maybe it's inconvenient to you know this is a random example but maybe it would be inconvenient because of your the church architecture or the space or just whatever maybe it would be inconvenient to have a uh like a wheelchair up at the altar rail but maybe we all decide my little bit of inconvenience for half a second is not worth putting up a block to that wholeness and that unity where I'm going to say to this fellow member of the body of Christ that you need to be you need to wait in the back and then they'll bring it to you maybe maybe that's what they need or want but maybe it's not and it's like these kinds of questions that I think are where the value come from thinking about these things and it matters because Again, not just a platitude or, a, or an ideal or a nice thing to say, but every single member of the body of Christ is, is a redeemed uh, image bearer of God that has been given gifts of the Spirit to give to the body. It's not just a thing of, it's, it's good for us to accept all people, so we shouldn't discriminate against disabled people. Of course, you shouldn't discriminate against disabled people, and you should accept people for who they are as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also that I actually need that person and they need me. And that's not a negotiable, that's, that's, you know, talk about just kind of dealing with the reality of disability. That's just the reality of being a Christian. That's what we're told. They have been given gifts that I haven't. And if everyone was an eye, then, you know, where would the sense of hearing be? And if everyone was an ear, where would the sense of sight be? Like, it's almost like <laughs> people have thought about this before and there's a, there's an answer and there's there's a way of living in the world that we're supposed to be pursuing um, and and so it's, it's and so it matters that we that we sort of seriously and rigorously think about these things you know down to the seemingly mundane details of like if there's a member of, of a congregation who is in a wheelchair, what does it look like for them to receive the Eucharist? All the way up to bigger, more abstract questions of like, how are we including every member of our body, regardless of their physical ability, regardless of their station in life, their socioeconomic status, all that kind of stuff. And um, I'll just kind of end with like a brief something. One of the things that sort of catalyzed all this thought is there, there's a there's a family in our church whose eldest son has Down syndrome, and he I have learned more about joy and reverence in worship from being friends with him and them, and seeing him worship and being in this congregational body with him in Sunday mornings over the last two and a half years than probably any other individual in my life at any other time, you know, and that's, it's not, you know, it's not a sort of false humility or a false sense of, you know, like whatever it's, it's a reality that I have noticed where it's, where seeing him worship our, our Lord is, has been, very specifically and very like noticeably and significantly in my life, both a lesson and an encouragement in my walk with Christ. And that that's a real thing that I 
you know, just speaking for myself, I don't, I don't know if who else would agree or disagree with me in, in their own experience, but just speaking for myself, that is a blessing that God has used his church to give to me that I would not have if my church refused to put up with the fact that he wanders around during the service and, uh, you know, like gets up and conducts us uh, while, you know, the pews while, while we're singing hymns or something like that because they thought it was disruptive or something. So they made him sit in a different room somewhere, right? Like I could imagine that happening where this, this might be disruptive or inconvenient for some of the people quote unquote normal people who are in the church building worshiping. So let's have like a like a separate kind of like like a the the room for like mothers with crying babies. It's like of course I get it. But also like should we really like <laughs> exclude and segregate the the crying babies from the 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 body in worship? That's a different conversation. But but similar in the sense of on the basis of his in this case down syndrome or on the basis of your in you know uh, 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 being paralyzed and unable to like maneuver the sanctuary or what? You know, like, are we? That that's so problematic. And thank God that uh, that my church doesn't do that because of how I've gotten to know him and, and benefit from him. Just in the forget the rest of of my interactions with him outside of of Sunday morning worship, but just in the worship service, right? And and that's just that's just a a specific example from my life that really I think shows kind of what I'm interested in doing with this conversation where it's like that's what it actually looks like in, a, in one way to actually be living this wholeness to actually be receiving the life of christ as the body of christ and, and trying to live that out well and faithfully it's that it's not other forms of of you know exclusion or discrimination and, and i'm not saying like purposeful even or malicious at all um, but it's more than just sort of like paternalistic, patronizing, you know, oh, isn't it so nice that this person with this disability is is part of our church? You know, not that they, not that they really, really could could ever do anything or offer anything like that's just such a natural human attitude, especially in, in a more individualistic culture like ours. Like that's just such a natural attitude to fall into accidentally forget the, the people who are just straight up malicious, but just the bulk of people in the middle of the bell curve who are just normal people to just kind of like coast by, you know, you don't really want to get too close to that. It's unsettling. It's different. It's challenging. It, it's sad, whatever it might be. And then like the result of that is, is, is such a flat kind of approach to community. And that's true, not just of disabilities and chronic illnesses and things like that. Um, it's true of everything. Um, but as it pertains to this conversation, it's, 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 that's how we, you know, and I think a step one is this idea that every member of the body, and that means every member of the body, not just every brackets, you know, fill in the blank member of the body, but every member of the body of Christ is an image bearer of God. And they have been given giftings to offer to the church. And if, and if you have a problem with that, you just got to go back to the Bible. <laughs> um, and like, that's sort of the main idea. And I think yeah. if that's our like foundational starting point for, and I say us, I just mean Christians. If that's our foundational starting point for like 
how we go about living in community with people who are disabled in this way or that way. So many other things flow from that in a way that I think is is a reflection of, of God's intent for community. Like, because yeah. you're going to care about uh, the, the person's, you know, physical needs that they're being met if they're if they're unable to work because of their disability or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're going to make adjustments as needed for things like liturgical practices and, and also just like you're going to see and hear their perspective on what the church needs are or, or what they, they, they might have a perspective about, hey, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and I've noticed that the way our parking lot is is really hard for me to get from my car into the building. And it's like that nobody else might notice that. And that's a, such a small thing, but it's like that's what that's what the whole body of Christ gives, right? Um, and and if, and of course, it's more than that. It's it's the spirit. It's spiritual gifts. Um, we could go through all the lists in the New Testament. That's everybody. So um, that I think is my big idea, and kind of what I want to just end with is like that's what I think. Kind of if, if we're gonna think theologically about disability, about chronic, um, you know, debilitating illnesses or or conditions, like. As Christians, as the church, members of Christ, that's, I think, where we got to start. Um, and, I, and I just think the beauty of the church, the beauty of life in Christ, is that we're able to do that. Not because we're special, but because we are being conformed more and more into Christ's image. And we're able to live the life of Christ in the world by the Spirit. Um, and I think I think that's, that's a really beautiful thing to aim for in our own communities. Yeah. Well, to put like that really into practical, you know, effect, uh, the more that I thought about this, this idea of, um, you know, wholeness and all these things, like I, I kept coming back to this idea and I, and I'm not trying, I, I like hear me when I say this, I am not trying to be political. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be any of those things. I recognize the, the varying perspectives of this conversation. But when I think back, especially over the last couple of years, when I think about COVID, when I think about this pandemic, like, first of all, I want to think of those things within the sovereignty of God, like COVID does not happen, like a pandemic, a worldwide global pandemic does not happen outside of the control, the sovereignty and the providence of a good and loving God. Um, and when I, when I think about an illness like this, an illness that, that affects so many people in different ways, that's so new, like, again, there's so much nuance in this conversation. Um, but I think of my own, I have like friends and family who literally cannot leave their homes normally because of illness, disease, disability. And then you add in the complications of a, of a virus, of a, um, you know, this, this COVID pandemic and the complexities that go into that like okay so for a while we couldn't gather at all anybody but then okay yeah so we can gather again um but what does it look like to be in a gathering together like what does masking look like what does social distancing look like and again not trying to get political i'm not trying to say like one person's right or these people are wrong but i just want to like based on what we've said up until this point i, I just want us to think to think about like, yeah, okay, so I know like I didn't like wearing masks. I know I didn't like having to social distance. But like, what does that look like? To What if wearing that mask, for example, was was a way in which you loved your neighbor? You know, maybe there's somebody next to you who does have a compromised immune system, but it's not so bad 
that they, you know, can't come to church. They are there with you, but like you want to show that respect to them. Like those are some of the like, that's where the rubber hits the road. Because we can we can talk about diabetes, we can talk about um, Down syndrome, but like those are things that like have existed and will continue to exist. So yes, we should have theologies of them. We should have thoughts about like how we how we live in the world with those things. But then what about these other things that that come up that crop up? that just like take us by surprise how do we love and live within the reality of that and this is this is related i promise but like i was reading an article and this is fascinating dude so back back in the era I, i'm I, was it like the 14 or 1500s when we had the bubonic plague um when when that virus or illness or whatever you want to call it was like plaguing the earth um the people who were predisposed to survive, and you have to remember, like, wasn't it something like half the world's population died in the bubonic plague? Um, like, the people who lived, the, the, whatever, whatever gene or thing that, like, allowed them to not contract the illness, or if they did, to not contract it as severely, today, people who have Crohn's disease can trace their lineage back to that same gene. So that that gene that allowed them in that period of human history to to survive and live, that is like that a very same or similar gene today is like affects and impacts you if you have Crohn's disease. So that's a, a very like think 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 of it like 400 years ago your your relatives survived because of a gene today that gives you a chronic illness like it's in a way it's almost like incredibly ironic it's it's almost humorous um but now let's think about the same thing today like let's think about the same thing in 2022 as we approach 2023 the the hard thing is like we just don't have the knowledge we don't have the foresight to be able to think of those types of things but Again, God is sovereign in different parts of different, you know, different parts of human history. He's acted in different ways and allowed different things to do different things. You know, 500 years ago, the the gene that allowed you to survive the Black Death is a gene that is going to affect you today and cause you to have a chronic illness. Well, perhaps uh, some gene today is going to have some other effect three, four, seven, who knows, years from now. I don't don't know. but my point is, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who obviously ought to be loving one another, you, I think you mentioned this briefly, Lucas, but I'll, I'll press the point just slightly further. Like, we live in a very individualistic society. Sometimes we can become so narrowly focused on, on our own lives that we forget the things that are neighbors quite literally the people sitting right next to you right in front of you right behind you on the other side of the auditorium whatever like you forget what those people are going through you forget their their experiences their shortcomings their illnesses whatever it might be and 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 the the fact of the matter is even if you do not have a lifelong illness or a lifelong disability. Like I recognize that not everybody's going to have that. We all share in common one of the worst and by greatest, I mean, it's just like awful, but like we all share in the fact that we will die. Death is not natural to this world. Death is the great enemy that we've been trying to escape for years and years and years. This is why people do Botox and cosmetic surgery to look younger 
because they're trying to escape the reality that we one day will die. And so even before we get to that point, the the statistics just are outright clear that like you're you might get cancer, you might get sickness, you might go blind, you might lose your ability to hear. Um, if nothing else, your body's going to deteriorate in such a way that you need a cane or a wheelchair or something to assist you in your daily life. Um, the, the, the thing for me is like people who have lived with these things longer and for a greater stretch of their life have the perspective that the quote unquote normal or able-bodied people in this moment do not have. And so you would do well to, to, to learn from your brothers and sisters now who are enduring those things so that you in turn know how to endure them if and when you encounter them, or at least if and when your family member does. Because the statistics are will say that if you do not, somebody else in your family will, whether it's a brother, or sister, parent, cousin, whatever. Um, so all that to say, brothers and sisters, like I want you to hear me like I... I care about each one of you. I, I love each one of you. I can't wait for the day that I get to meet each of you in glory and just revel in all the ways that God has worked in in each and every one of our lives in, in a multitude of ways. Um, but as you live your life today, as you as you go about your, your life doing the things that you do, um, think outside of yourself. Look outside of yourself. Look for areas in which you can be humble, where you can be gracious, and where you can be kind to people that perhaps are different from you. I don't know. That's that's sort of where I wanted to leave it. Um, like you said, this could be a, a whole, you know, so many different little tributaries could flow from this river. Um, but those are the things that I think I wanted to say on this topic. Yeah, great. I mean, I think we'll just we'll just wrap it up there. Um, I... Uh... As we mentioned, there's all kinds of different things that, that we could think of as disability, and, and, and we've mentioned other, you know, things too that relate to these ideas and principles. So I'll pray this prayer that's a little more broad um, than just chronic physical disability, but is certainly relevant. Let's pray. Oh God, almighty and merciful, you heal the brokenhearted and turn the sadness of the sorrowful to joy. Let your fatherly goodness be upon all whom you have made. Remember in pity all those who are this day destitute, homeless, elderly, infirm, or forgotten. Bless the multitude of your poor. Lift up those who are cast down. Mightily befriend innocent sufferers and sanctify to them the endurance of their wrongs. Cheer with hope all who are discouraged and downcast, and by your heavenly grace preserve from falling those whose poverty tempts them to sin. Though they be troubled on every side, suffer them not to be distressed. Though they are perplexed, save them from despair. Grant this, O Lord, for the love of him who for our sakes became poor, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for tuning in, making it this far if you have. Um, we're super, like like you mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're super grateful for everyone's support in, in, in just listening, sharing. Um, I know you had, um, a, a, it like our doxology spotify wrapped kind of thing like shows shows you some 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 like statistics in terms of things like you know where people are listening and but one that was really cool was like it shows how like how many people and in what avenues people are sharing and that was just super cool to see like whoa i didn't even think 
like, you know, I do that with podcasts, but I didn't even think about somebody doing that um, with any of our episodes. And, and um, it's just one of those, what, that's just a small, for, like, reminder of the bigger thing that, that is just like, people are tuning in for some reason. They like, I guess, like hearing us talk. I don't know why. I feel like it must be something else, but I don't know what else it could be because that's what a podcast is. So thank you for, for all the support. Thank you for the love. Thank you for sharing, liking, um, downloading, listening, streaming, reviewing, rating, all that good stuff. And uh, we are super excited to, to get to continue. Just, you know, I mean, it's been, my oh my, it's been closer to three years than two years that we've been doing this. And uh, that is kind of crazy. Um, but I have no plans on slowing down. Um, schedules permitting, at least. <laughs> And uh, super grateful for all the support, super grateful for everyone who has listened to either one episode or 290, I don't know, where are we? Like Several hundred at this point, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, and you can always reach us on social media at Doxology Podcast, but um, probably best way is email, or at least most consistent way is email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear all of your feedback, questions, future episode ideas, uh, and whatever else is on your mind. So until next time, we'll see you.